Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, and today our topic is the organization of local government in Indiana. With me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have two guests with us today, Association of Indiana County's Executive Director David Botworth and MySmartGov.org Executive Director Marilyn Schultz. If you would like to join us on the program, please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your uh, – you can check online and then contact us that way at wfiu.org slash noon edition. So, Marilyn, David, thanks for being here with us today. Thank Mar- you. Mary Catherine. Bob, now, today I noticed you didn't say Bob Salzburg, editor of the Herald Times. Is there something, you know, I need to know? <laughs> I've been demo- – no. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, you know, mixing it up being the – Sort of I hang on your every word, see, so I noticed that. spontaneous guy that I am. <laughs> <All right. Fair laughs> well, we're going to talk about county government, and um, there are uh, certainly some various points of view in this room, I think. But uh, I think as, as many of you know, the uh, Commission uh, for Local Government Reform in 2007 announced 27 recommendations that could, could change county government as we know it. And the uh, legislature will be working through a lot of those recommendations. There already have been some changes. Um, David, let's turn to you first. And sure. What's the position of, of your organization on the recommendations? Do you per- favor some, favor none? We, we favor uh, most of them um, and some of them we didn't feel like we had the expertise to comment on. The uh, reorganization of school districts, that's not really our bailiwick so we didn't comment on that. Um, but on the on the county and township side, we uh, again some of the com- some of the recommendations we agree with, some we have concerns with, and um, actually some of the uh, recommendations are issues that we have supported for years, if not decades. And uh, one of those being the uh, the state assuming the cost of the welfare that's already passed last year. Governor Daniels included that in his property tax reform bill. Uh, we supported that, and that that's been a long time issue um, for us. The other issue that passed last year was. Um, making sure that non-elected bodies uh, could not raise levies. And uh, we, we supported that change as well. So um, those are two of the recommendations that have already been implemented and that we supported. Mm-hmm. So That seemed to cause a little bit of confusion this year when county councils all of a sudden were listening to you know, budgets from other agencies they hadn't seen before. Right. Yeah. It, it's a, I think it kind of served a dual purpose. Uh, with the proposed property tax caps, I mean the, the caps are already in statute and then consideration for going in the constitution. But one thing because of the caps now, there's really only one bucket of property tax money out there. And so if, mm-hmm. if uh, Township A takes a little bit out of it, that's less money for everybody else. And so I think part of the thought there was just to create a community discussion about the priorities of uh, local government spending to make sure that there wasn't a duplication of services or – is there a possibility that you know Township A is buying the same thing Township B is buying, and if they go together, they could maybe get a discount? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we support that too. That's a recommendation in the report about joint purchasing, and uh, we've participated in a, a national purchasing program for several years. Uh, the governor has started one now for the state, and so. Um, uh, but but the, the the non-elected boards. I mean, I think a lot of people didn't feel like a, an appointed board should be able to raise somebody's taxes, and, and we agree with that. All right. Now, I introduced Marilyn Schultz as MySmartGov.org Executive Director, but many people in Bloomington know that Marilyn has quite a checkered past, I guess. I do, absolutely. (laughs) State legislator here in uh, Monroe County, and she's been involved with uh, the state on a number of different jobs in Indiana State University and various things. Been working very hard on our behalf for a very long time. So this is the same Marilyn Schultz that we might (laughs) call from something else. So Marilyn, um, talk a little bit about MySmartGov and what the role of that organization is. Well, I think that what David said earlier is is something important to note that over decades, uh, Indiana has realized that the local government system that was put in uh, in many of the townships back when the Northwest Territory was uh, first uh, drawn out, that while they served an early 19th century technology and culture, that they really don't serve uh, today's society. And so there have been many efforts, uh, you know, starting back in the mid-19th century, 1901, there was a big tax conference. They discussed having too many assessors. 1935, Governor Paul McNutt issued a report very similar to the one coming out today. So for decades and, you know, 
uh, even a century probably, a century and a half, we've recognized that there need to, we need to start looking at changes uh, so that we can bring the structure of government up to meet the needs of today. And, and I think we're, we've made progress bit by bit over uh, different legislative sessions. And I think the, the reason for the commission's report and Governor uh, Daniels' real interest is that we're no longer competing one county with the next or one state to the next. We're competing with Singapore and uh, on a global scale. And so whereas we have extraordinarily dedicated and talented local elected officials, and nobody uh, debates that. We think that these talented people should be working in a structure that meets the needs of today. Now, uh, let me just throw in a, an incident, Clabber Girl, which is a popular product for those of us who cook, uh, was uh, established in 1851, still exists today. And the president of Clabber Girl in Terre Haute says, you know, if we were operating with the same structure that we operated with in 1851, we just wouldn't be here. And because, you know, of the taxpayer, we're able to support a system and a structure that is du duplicative, that is fragmented, uh, and because of the good work of elected officials, we're able to make it work. Maybe we should take a really serious look at how we structure local government, of which we have many, many. We have over 10,000 elected officials at the local level. Maybe we need to do something that's more transparent and that fits the, te fits the technology of today. And that's what the commission is talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not in any way to disparage the work that's going on in local counties. It's to make us all sit down, as uh, Dave said, have a conversation and a debate about what would be the best way for us to compete in today's world. And so that's the commission. Excuse me. Um, I often ask the kind of 101 questions on this show. So sure. I'm, I'm going to take that role again <laughs> All right. uh, today. But how many – what's the average number of townships per county? So – and explain – I mean is there – is that even a, a, a reasonable question? I don't know that the average is a good question. Okay. But we know we have townships that have as few – you know, a few hundred people of population up to townships like Marion County that has, uh, you know, half a million or, or well, probably not quite that much, 300,000, 400,000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, it's, it's a great disparity. And let me tell you, I've been looking through the 2007 financial reports of uh, many of those townships, small ones and big ones. And uh, we have no uh, – when we talk about financial management – and fiscal integrity, we have no way of really comparing one township mm -hmm. to the next. Uh, I don't know that there has been a system, uh, systematic uh, study of townships because there are 1,008 of them, and so mm -hmm. it's very hard to get a grip on. But what we do know is that uh, in 2007, townships had uh, a combined budget of about $400 million dollars, and yet they had a cash balance at the end of 2007 of about $230 million. Now, the state tries to keep 10 percent of its budget, which is about $1.3 million billion now, uh, in reserve. If we compare what townships have in reserve to what the state has in reserve, they have about 58 percent mm -hmm. of their budget. So in effect – we could probably declare a property tax holiday for a year. Now, it would be uneven throughout the state, but we could uh, because about $233 million of that $400 million budget is property tax. And so we continue to collect taxes, but much of that money sits in a cash balance. And, you know, that doesn't make sense in today's economy. All right. And so another 101 question, since we're just at the beginning of this discussion, what are the responsibilities of a township and who does a township traditionally employ? David? Uh, the, the main responsibility of townships today now is poor, poor relief and fire protection are the two major functions. Uh, originally when they were created, they maintained roads. Every township had a school corporation. And so we have evolved you know, past that. But today, the two main functions would be poor relief and um, uh, fire protection. And, and poor relief is the emergency situation mm -hmm. where 
you know, I'm somebody who needs immediate medical attention. I have no insurance. Um, I don't have a way of transportation to the hospital. In theory, I can find my township trustee, knock on his door at 6 in the morning and say, I need help, and he or she is supposed to help him immediately. Um, so that's the uh, the major role of the townships. And then fire protection too because, you know, of course, in the unincorporated area, uh, traditionally the houses are spread out far enough that uh, it doesn't make sense to have full-time paid professional fire departments. And so they, they organize the volunteer fire departments and um, try to provide service in that area. And then to a certain degree too, uh, medical as well, ambulance service, that kind mm-hmm. of thing is part of the fire department. So those are their two main functions now. Okay. And, and let me just say we recognize how important these functions are. And the bills that have been presented so far, uh, in, in fact, I spent a lot of time this summer working with a Coalition for Human Services and meeting with groups around the state to try to figure out what would be a better way of providing poor relief so that one would have a countywide tax so everybody would pay roughly the same instead of having one or two townships that bear the full burden or most of the full burden. And two, how can we continue to provide uh, consistent service from one township to the next and make sure it's geographically located? And the Coalition for Human Services worked with me. In fact, this is part of their legislative agenda as well to bring townships up to the county level, township poor relief up to the uh, county level. And working with them, we devised a bill which would provide for a countywide planning process with a transition period of about three years. And we specify the people who need to be part of that county process, uh, including human services representatives from different kinds of agencies, and uh, making a high priority that the services need to be geographically located uh, and uh, consistent throughout the county and also making certain that um, there is a 24-hour uh, provision of service. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, you know, how do, we, how do we do it better? And to make sure that counties could say, hey, we have a fabulous township trustee over here who's providing excellent service, then the county could contract with that person to continue to provide service in part of the county or the whole county mm-hmm. because we want to recognize the experience that people have. Our phone numbers are 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can also join the program at wfiu.org slash noon edition. We're talking about reorganization of uh, county government. We mentioned the commission report. That's the Kernan-Shepard Commission, which uh, presented this report and these recommendations in, in December of 2007. These uh, recommendations are – there are 27 of them and they're pretty – Broad. And we've been talking so far about townships, but mm-hmm. there are some other very specific ones um, that are broader than that. The number one uh, recommendation or the one that's numbered number one, right. I don't know if these right. are in priority <laughs> order, uh, is to establish a single-person elected county chief executive, essentially doing away with the county commissioner's structure and having one chief executive for the county. David, what does your association think about that idea? We, we support that as a local option. We don't think that every community wants to go to a single county executive. I, I certainly can understand the arguments of uh, you know, why a single county executive um, uh, may be a good thing in some in some communities, but the three-member commission has a lot of valid points too. I mean, uh, you know, you have people who are working on a part-time basis, and they bring with them their everyday experiences. And so, if you're a real estate agent, you can be a county commissioner. If you're a small business owner, you can be a county commissioner. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you can be a county commissioner, uh, insurance salesman, whatever. So, the fact that they're part-time positions and you're bringing three people together uh, to make a decision from from different geographic parts of the county, because counties are much larger than cities. I think that's um, one, of the, one of the reasons you have you see a commission form of government in, in counties is because of the, the size of the county. Um, but it allows them to to come together. You know, you have to convince one of the other commissioners that your idea is a good idea. So you don't have a single person who's making who's making a decision and, and moving on. But you know, on the single county executive, uh, I think there are some urban counties who maybe would like to pose that question on the ballot to see if their people want to move in that direction. And we would certainly support the commissioners having that option to, to put it on the ballot and to move forward. And on the other hand, we're concerned about uh, creating a hodgepodge of different kinds of structures. I, uh, one of the uh, great values of the Kern and Shepherd report, the values that they hold, is that government be more transparent. And everybody knows who their mayor is. 
But many people, in fact, most people probably can't name who their county commissioners are. Uh, frequently, the meetings are held during the day when people are working, and so there's there there's not much participation in those meetings. But I think that what Dave said is very valid. We want to have uh, participation by people who don't have to who can't do work full time. They can't do government service full time, and that's why uh, the second recommendation. I think one and two need to be uh-huh. combined. Uh, is that there would be a broader uh, county council. Uh, There would be options to have additional members in the county council. Two of them, I think, uh, uh, on the prototype would be at large seats and three would be geographic, but you have some options to increase the number that would be from geographic areas. And the county council would have full legislative responsibility. And in our minds, that would allow for more input in to the whole decision-making or the legislative decision-making. Uh, right now, you have three people who can introduce ordinances that are important to mm-hmm. the committee, to the community. In this case, there would be five, in some cases, seven or nine people who, as a legislative body, could present ordinances uh, dealing with community interest. And there would be one person who is the executive who would answer, of course, who has to, you know, there would be this broad checks and balances, which have been the foundation of American democracy, that you have the legislative branch checking the executive branch and all of them negotiating together. So we really think it would bring more people into the process than we currently have. Yeah, I I agree. If you do one, you have to do two. I mean, you cannot have a one-person legislative body. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But a little bit of the history of how we – why we have this fiscal-only body. I mean, originally, um, the three commissioners were the executive, legislative, and fiscal body. And in the 1850s, the General Assembly thought these county commissioners are spending too much money. They're building these fantastic courthouses, but they're very expensive. And so we want to create somebody to do nothing but be a check on the financial spending of the rest of county government. So that's how we created Mm -hmm. the county council um, in Indiana. And their original goal or their duties was just to – really, that's what they do. They they only have to meet three times a year if they want. They have to organize themselves in January. They have to have a, uh, a budget hearing. And then adopt the budget. Now, most of the, almost, they all meet more than three times now, but I suspect originally that's how often they met. Mm-hmm. And now most of them meet, you know, monthly or maybe twice a month. And they'll adopt the budget. They will do additional appropriations throughout the year and just kind of, um, you know, keep track of what's going on in on county projects. You know, I have to ask this question. It's, it's related, certainly. Marilyn brought it up, but why is it that county commissioners typically meet at nine o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon? Uh, you know, the idea that if the organization the or, – that there would be need to – I mean, I don't think there is a need for an organizational change to change the time that people meet. Why right. did that happen? Dave, I, I mean, that's up to them. They can decide whenever mm-hmm. they want. They can meet at 7 o'clock at night, 6 o'clock at night. A lot of commissioners, when they meet, they'll meet for – you know, they just have an open meeting half a day. I mean, they'll come in at 8 and we're having a meeting till 2 and anybody who has any business in front of the county can come in and, and present their case. Um, but that, that's something that you know they decide locally. Same thing on the county council, what their hours of meetings are going to be. I think the point that Marilyn made is a lot of people work. They're not going to go to these meetings. Mm-hmm. Right. right, and you think of the difference between the those meetings and the meeting of the city council where you have, mm-hmm. at least here in Bloomington, you have broad participation. And I think that's true mm-hmm. over most of the state. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that, that – um, is of concern is, is are the other line offices. In the county, you have uh, – the county commissioners, in fact, their association has recommended a change and their concern is that the – whereas traditional um, – uh, legisla- legislative or organizational charts kind of have uh, are a pyramid where you have someone in charge and then you have other mm-hmm. people who report to that person and then you have the mm-hmm. checks and balances of the county of the council or the legislative. In the county, it's all horizontal, and so you have six other elected officials, each of whom are. Uh, totally autonomous. They don't have to work having the same office hours or the same personnel, although many of them have. Uh, and, but, but there's no 
particularly in the fiscal area mm-hmm. where you have the assessor and the auditor and the treasurer, they don't necessarily have to communicate and frequently there's fiction or friction, sometimes fiction. I <laughs> but but there, there, in our mind, there needs to be a greater clarification of responsibility and reporting and that there needs to be someone whom you hold responsible. Uh, over the last election, and I know here in Monroe County, there was a county officer who was uh, creating some controversy. And yet nothing could be done. You have to wait for three more years before you can deal with mm-hmm. that inefficiency. And believe me, it wasn't happening just here. It was mm-hmm. happening in a lot of places where if that it, had that been someone in uh, the city government – uh, that person would have been out the door mm-hmm. in 10 hours probably. Mm-hmm. Our phone numbers again. Let me give our numbers because we need to have uh, – we'd like to have people call and join us on the program, 855-0811, 877-285-9348. And the website, you can join us there, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, our topic again today is the Kernan Shepherd Report and the reorganization of county government. David, yeah. did you want to – Yeah, I want to comment on that on the, uh, on the office hours and the personnel policies, that kind of thing. I, I think we've pretty much – Agree that the a lot of these uh, offices, or I think they all do, um, will follow the the county commissioner's recommendation or their their mandate on when the court hours are going to be. The the one the offices we run into trouble on are usually where people don't want to follow the county's personnel policy. It's usually the judiciary, uh, maybe the prosecutor, and sometimes the sheriff. But we all agree that uh, the county commissioner set the personnel policy, the hours of operation of the courthouse, the salaries. Or the county council sets the salaries, and this is what everybody gets paid. And then, of course, the commissioners have to sign all contracts, and so the commissioners can clearly, mm-hmm. um, pretty much, require that each of the fiscal officers use the same software. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they exert that authority, they they can't go out and hire their own software company. They have to bring that contract to the commissioners, and the commissioners have to sign it. So, the, so there's some there's some uh, there's definitely some oversight there by the commissioners. And again, the county council sets their budgets. So if the county council thinks you're spending too much money, you have too many personnel, they can easily reduce that. Um, so I think there's some control there by, by the commissioners. All right. We have our first phone call of the day. Uh, Tim is on the line. Tim? Hello? Hi, Tim. Go ahead. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go right ahead. Um, my concern is about the trustee uh, – being authorized to help the poor people. I've worked for a lifetime with the social service agencies and ministerial associations. And when I moved to Indiana about eight years ago, I was shocked to find out that the person deciding who would get uh, help because they were poor is an elective office. Uh, Because it would seem to me that if a poor immigrant from Central America went to the trustee for help uh, and another person came who had all kinds of family connections and lots of voters, the trustee would be uh, tempted to give it to the person that could put that person back in office. And I just think um, a person that's de- dealing with those kinds of issues should not be elected. That's, that's my point. All right. All right, Tim. Marilyn? Well, I think one of the real premises of uh, Kern and Shepard report was that purely administrative offices should not be elected. They should be appointed. That uh, when you have an uh, – and, and that policy positions where you're making public policy should be elected. And we definitely agree that uh, townships were very important in 1851. But uh, right now, the county governments are the one who should be dealing with poor relief and there should be at least countywide standards and some statewide general standards. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Tim. I think we're going to take a short break now. I, I know uh, we've got a phone call coming in. I've got several questions. Mary Catherine has several questions. So we have several places to go. I think David probably wants to respond to that uh, last well, caller. Too, um, so. You know, uh, and again, I don't deal with townships. I'm assuming there are some standards uh, that township trustees uh, have to follow in giving out poor relief. Um, and again, I, we don't represent them directly, but I've heard some of their stories where I mean, one, you know, they often hear about the person who comes to the door, says, I need help, and they actually know them, know their family, and know, well, you, I know your family history. Your family can help you out, or, or you came to me last month, and I gave you $50, and then I saw you down, you know, spending it inappropriately somehow. 
And so I think that was the reason why we had those townships uh, trustees in the place. But I do agree with Marilyn and and something that we've talked about is um, even if you keep township government, to allow the county to kind of um, organize perhaps bigger districts um, from an assessed value standpoint. Because one of the reasons you see such high and low tax rates throughout the county is uh, you might have one township that has a great assessed value. You know, Honda sits in this township or this one has a steel mill. And so they can they can have very low as, as tax rate because they have so much assessed value. But if you kind of spread that AV out into larger districts throughout the county and kind of try to even out some of the tax rates, even for poor relief or for fire, mm-hmm. I mean, I think those are positive things. Now, you're going to get a little bit of pushback because some people are going to say, well, my taxes are going down and you know, my taxes are going up, and that township over there, theirs is going down. So if you allow the county to try to even that out, maybe phase that kind of uh, process in, um, I think it would have some advantages. So, All right. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about county government and the Kernan Shepherd Report. We'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU News Team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. The different offices... All right, welcome, welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, who has an announcement. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville Telephone, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, offering bundled packages, high-speed internet, and wireless phones. Smithville Telephone, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. All right. Thank you. And we have two guests today, the Associated, Association of Indiana Counties Executive Director David Botorf and MySmartGov.org Executive Director Marilyn Schultz. If you want to join us, call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can also join us at the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And we have a phone call. It's been waiting since before the break. Bill, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Uh, I guess in the interest of disclosure, I am a county official, so I'll get that out of the way. But uh, what I've heard in talking with people seems to be that the taxpayers that are concerned about the reorganization are concerned more about the concentration of power as opposed to what I think the intent of the report is, which is to say things like treasurer and so forth have specific duties that might be found by going to the uh, private industry and finding those people. So I guess what I've wondered is would a modification to the proposal be that you uh, go ahead and elect some number of officials who act more as a board to then appoint a county manager who takes on some of those responsibilities and appointments, but then you still have the uh, representation that the public wants. Yeah, I, uh, a good question. And, uh, you know, as, as, we, as we're having these discussions uh, around the state house and around the state, I mean, uh, recently it was posed to me about what if we put the council and commissioner duties back together again in one board and instead of having a fiscal body and an executive and legislative body if we just made it a seven person county commission or whatever you want to call it and then they could hire a a uh, county manager if they wanted to do that um, so that's something else that's actually in kind of some very preliminary discussions uh, and maybe that again is a local option that we could put out there and let people decide if that's what they want to do but uh, on your uh, point about the uh, different offices, and I'll use the you know treasurer as an example, or maybe the assessor is a better example of 
Um, you know, the reason – and the assessor is not a constitutional office, but most of the other uh, offices in the county are. You know, they're there to carry out a statewide system. Um, the assessor, you know, they get their training from the state. They, they're supposed to assess property the same way in each county. Um, independently of, um, you know, what the county commissioners say or the county council, their role and job, their duties come from the state. The county commissioners don't tell the assessor, this is how you assess property in our county. Uh, they don't tell, you know, the county uh, clerk, this is how you run elections in our county. Those duties are assigned by the state. So they're really there to be state administrators. They're, they're an arm of state government. And, and the kind of the balance of power between state and locals is the Constitution allows the local voters to decide who my local administrators are going to be to carry out this statewide system. And so if you had the commissioners appointing those people and I'll use the assessor as an example, they assess a piece of property. Uh, somebody goes in the commissioner's office and says – and just really beats on the commissioner. My assessment's too high. You got to help me out. You got to lower. They go to the assessor and say, "Could you please lower so and so's assessment?" The county assessor can now say, "No, I'm following state statute." If the if in this theory of them being appointed, if the county commissioner says lower the assessed value, or I'm going to appoint somebody else to this position, it creates an awkward situation for the county assessor. I mean, right now they work for the voters. Um, if you if they get appointed by somebody else. Then they work for that somebody else. Yeah, from a mm -hmm. news mm -hmm. editor standpoint, it creates some great news stories. Though. Yeah, the commissioners right. are exerting that kind of power. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> well, I just like to add too that all government duties are defined by the state. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are these constitutional offices. In fact, Indiana and Alabama have more than the rest of the states of offices in the Constitution. Most of them have many, many fewer, and yet. The state defines to a large part what those duties are because the Constitution, you know, doesn't provide a lot of detail. And so it is the state government that has the responsibility of figuring out local government and it works for the mayor to appoint many of those positions. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that – I think that's a great point but I think it's also a point that may not uh, be as valid in today's world where – we, we have more technology than it is in the past. And as I say that, I think, oh, and yeah, if I were Dave, I'd say, well, look at corporations that are, yeah. you know, look at businesses and, you know, what a mess they're in. And I recognize that. I, I should mention, that I'll just drop a fact in here, because when the Kernan Shepard report was first uh, released, the uh, number of um, county elected officials, of elected officials, the state's elected officials was 11,012. And the recommendations of the report would have dropped it to 5,171 if they were all implemented. And um, the process would also trim the number of governmental units from 3,086 down to 1,931. So those are the kind of numbers we're talking mm -hmm. about when we throw right. these out. Huge, yeah. huge. Yeah. Well, OK. I want to ask just a, a bigger question. Are we rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic? Are, you know, should, should we be completely doing away with the county structure and looking at more of a Unigov um, structure as they have in, in uh, Marion County? Um, I'll comment on that. I mean, one of the things about the report, too, is uh, – is they don't make a town become a city. I mean, towns still have five member boards, and you, you may have some towns that are much larger population wise than counties. But there's they're not there's no mandate that once you reach a population of five thousand, you have to town you have to adopt the city structure. We don't do that. We let those kind of decisions percolate up, you know, percolate locally, reach the leadership of the community, and then make those changes. Um, to your question on on the Unigov. Um, you know, I don't know how popular of a phrase Unigov is outside of Marion County. Um, but, well, you know, call it anything you want, okay. but just one governmental body per county. Yeah. Well, even just Unigov doesn't even have that. I mean, you know, Unigov, you have the Marionapolis, and you still, I don't know how many mayors are still in Marion County and town boards well, and, that's and all that point. kind of thing. So, but, you know, I, I think what you're seeing, though, and we're moving in this direction, is this feeling of moving up more services. And county and county review um, through legislation you've seen in recent years, so that there's somebody at the county level, and right now it's the county council, it appears, to kind of give a global view of all the spending in the county and see if they can identify ways to save money. Um, you know, I I think you'd get a lot of resistance too if you suddenly said all cities and towns are eliminated and everything moves up to the county, and we're going to have one county executive and 
one school corporation in each county. Um, I just think there would be a lot of resistance uh, from taxpayers on that. There is a lot of resistance. I think um, as, as I traveled around the state after kind of not being involved in government for a couple of years, I was just amazed at the number of communities that are grappling with this issue. And they're trying very hard to figure out how they create a, a government that's more conducive to dealing with a global economy. Uh, Vandenberg County has has been working hard, as Allen and St. Joe and Elkhart and on and on and on of, of cities that cities working with counties trying to figure out how we can stop the duplication, spend less money on overhead, and again the fragmentation of services, and keep moving forward. Let me just give you one example. Uh, one of the recommendations of the commission is that there be no more than two emergency uh, call systems, a PSAP mm -hmm. systems in a county. And that actually was legislation that was passed last year, a couple of years ago. And so counties have had, cities and counties and towns and everybody who has one has had a lot of opportunity to begin to consolidate those systems. Not many have been consolidated and a huge number don't even have plans because you have these turf issues that we can't get past. But it was so interesting that uh, just recently Cass County and Logansport mm -hmm. came to an agreement after many, many months and years of trying to figure it out. They have purchased state-of-the-art equipment which provides much better service for the taxpayer and they are going to save with all that new service, they're going to save $400,000 a year. And this is in Little Cass County. Now, think of what would happen in Lake County. And I think they have 11, or is that libraries? 11 or 17? It may be more than, I think it's more than 11 PSAPs, yeah. So they have 11, you know, 17 PSAPs, 11 library systems, and they're oh. going bankrupt. Yeah. And so to, at a certain point, it can't be local option. Mm -hmm. The taxpayer has to demand that we begin to make changes that dramatically change what we pay and the kind of service that we get. And I think that's one of the very best examples. All right. We have a phone call, and it's Misha. Go ahead. Hi there. Um, it's just amazing to me that people that get to the top of our government really don't make connection with history. We've got here a suggestion that we take county voted on groups such as commission and make them a single executive and the the um, preponderance of history in our European history calls that a count. A count, a person who is the person who does it. And with our laws of immunity for people that are that hold this, there would be no way, particularly no way, for the poor people or the lower middle class to have a powerful vote. When you have a univote, for instance, the, the um, percentage of power that you have in your vote becomes much less, so the people have much less to say. And speaking of government, as if it's some kind of entity that has no people in it. I mean, really, people can be greedy and be, you know, false in, in business and in government, in all walks of life. It seems to be human nature. So just having single groups of people that can't be changed very easily is not going to answer um, any questions unless you have good and honest people. A king is only as good as he is kind and benevolent and smart, etc. And we could learn that from history. Um, we've got a, a real problem asking, having the poor be able to address their grievances. So I would say, you know, no counts and no princes, please. We moved away from that a long time ago. It may be the natural thing that everybody thinks of through history to do, um, and if you have kind people, that'd be one thing. But if you don't, you're in trouble. And that's right. just all I wanted to say. Right. Now, that's really why I said that number one and number two need to be talked about together because we're not talking about a dictator or a king or a count or a prince. We're talking about uh, a an, an county executive 
who is uh, working hand in glove with a stronger county council with full legislative powers. So we have the checks and balances that have been so important throughout the history of America uh, that you have the legislative branch with legislative authority and an executive branch that really is uh, can be totally hamstrung by a county council if they're not working together. And we think that's the best system. David? Yeah. Um, I guess that she made me think of another – the caller made me think of another uh, difference between city government and county government in, in, these, in these different offices within the county is if uh, I become mayor, I hire my city controller – he works for me. City controller only touches city money for that city. Mm-hmm. The county auditor, county treasurer, <clears throat> they touch money for all the cities and towns in the county, for all the school corporations, for all the townships. So they are responsible to each of those units individually, not just the county commissioners. Um, so I think that's uh, that's you know a, a, a big difference between the county structure and the city structure. And then uh, not to say that city – you know, county government is uh, so much more complicated than city government. But if you had a new executive came in and they just wiped everybody out of the courthouse, I just can't imagine it continuing to function because now we, we have a we have a system where you have these different offices, so you kind of always have some holdover. Mm-hmm. And the fact you have three commissioners and every two years you have an opportunity to change one of the three, mm-hmm. you have a county council of four at, uh, uh Three at large and four districts. You're always guaranteed, and they run in different years. You always have some continuity there. Um, there's always going to be somebody with a little bit of history to understand mm-hmm. how we assess property, how we collect taxes, how we distribute taxes. So if you wiped out the entire courthouse um, on, the, on the administrative side, I just think you would really have a difficult time getting everybody caught up and, and making sure that the that the government continued to work. And, and David, as you know, that's not an issue we're going to be discussing because the bill that's been put forward by the governor is uh, eliminates the coroner as a constitutional office and requires the appointment of the governor, the, the surveyor, and the treasurer. And so it would be only the treasurer that would be appointed by the uh, county executive Obviously, in consultation with the county council. So, uh, the uh, so you're talking about the the actual bill that's been right. offered this year, which is a little bit different from the right, recommendation. Right, exactly. The, I mean, yeah. David is sort of referring to if the if the oh, recommendation if it, yeah, was yeah. enacted. But um, so before we get to the email that Mary Catherine has, what what uh, is happening in the legislature this year? What how far? <laughs> I mean, there are 27 recommendations. I mean, how much is likely to happen in this session? Well, that's a really good point. Uh, the uh, the Kern and Shepherd recommendations are beginning in the Senate, uh, respecting the concern of Representative Bauer, Speaker Bauer, that they were grappling with the budget and didn't have time to deal with anything else. And so by the time they send the budget over to the Senate, hopefully the Senate will be sending the local government reforms over to the House. Two of the bills will be heard next week. One – on uh, libraries, the consolidation of libraries. Actually, the bill does not recommend a consolidation. The bill really is a planning process by county to determine – to look at the structure. We have some counties that have several library systems with very small numbers of people and yet we have 400,000 people who have no library system to go to in the state. So there are certain requirements in the bill. That bill is being heard on Tuesday and on Monday uh, in election – and that bill is being heard in local government. In On Monday, the elections bill is being heard and in that bill – you'll have to help me, Dave, because it has a whole bunch of provisions. One of them is that we expand the number of voter centers, which I think is a good recommendation. Uh, Second is um, that uh, no – elected uh, – no person can be an elected official and an employee of the same political division. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, that is the uh, – and I just want to comment on the vote centers. You know, there were three counties had the local option to do those this year and they all reported back to us uh, very, very good results. And so we, we – uh, one of our recommendations was to expand that to allow all counties to do it. Right. Um, I'm not sure if that was an original – I don't think the vote centers were maybe even created no, by the time no. this came out. So, so that's a positive. Um, 
uh, as Marilyn said, the uh, you can't be an elected official and uh, be an employee of that same unit. Um, I think it also has the language in it about the clerk treasurers, right? Making the clerk treasurers appointed, right. and I don't know how far that goes. If it's just second. Or just third-class cities or second, third-class cities. I, I can't remember that yeah. either. Yeah, the uh, the actual Kernan Shepherd recommendation is for the city council to appoint the city clerk in second-class cities. And also it includes a uh, recommendation to move all municipal yeah. elections to an even-year cycle. That's right. Is That's that, in the bill next Is year. that in the election? Yeah. And yeah. also that the uh, school board elections would be in general yeah. elections, not primary elections. And again, if you, the, if you look at the data, the fall-off – or the number of voters in a primary election is so much smaller mm-hmm. than in a general election. And for something as important as schools, we should have the full participation of the community. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I think that – I mean I, generally I think that's a pretty good bill. The, the one thing we're kind of struggling with on the, on the one recommendation is uh, employee of the unit and serving on the body. Uh, in general, we support that. But – now you have to start to think about how how far do you take that because now that the county council is also the non-binding review of the city's budget and mm-hmm. so if I'm a city police officer, I mean in theory in the past I always thought it would be right. appropriate to be on the county council. Well, now that the county council's mm-hmm. given the non-binding review of the city's budget, is that create a conflict? I don't think it does because the county's not negotiating the contract. Right. So you know you have to kind of be careful about that and how far you want to take it. But in a general sense, I think there's a, a, a positive uh, step in there. So. And that would have had a, an effect in Bloomington, where Mike Decoff was mm-hmm. a city police officer who was on the city council for many years. Mm-hmm. So. It, it's all over the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you have to be careful too. Uh, does that mean like I can't be a school teacher and be in the general assembly? I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 I mean, I don't think that's a conflict. I don't think that's comparable. At no, all. I it's think not. it's appropriate for somebody to be a school teacher and be mm-hmm. in the and be in the general assembly, but um, again, you just have to be careful how you word it and, and make sure it's very right. targeted. Okay, here's an email that came in. It says, "If the number of elected officials were reduced by fifty percent or so, wouldn't the personnel costs go up significantly? Does a professional coroner, coroner or surveyor earn the market rate for other licensed for others licensed to do comparable work?" Well, let me just say that in many counties, the the role of the coroner is to sign a contract with someone to do the work because we don't have a requirement that the coroner have any medical experience. And uh, so probably the commissioners or the, the single county executive could uh, sign that contract just as well uh, for those responsibilities. I think that uh, so. So in effect, they're already being outsourced. Is what oh, you're saying. there's so much outsourcing being done that um, uh, that 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 is at least in that instance, it's it's not uh, a valid point to make. Uh, you know, I think if you if you would look at the thousand and eight townships and the the four thousand three thousand and some odd township advisory board members and. Um, recognize that in so many townships, there is a very small amount of work being done. And in fact, in some townships, particularly in rural areas, there is not a lot of uh, poor relief happening. And they're also contracting out their fire service. So again, we're paying people to contract out. It varies around the state, obviously. And uh, obviously, very important tasks have to be done. But in, in the case of poor relief, for example, there were some folks saying that one could begin to contract out some of that work to existing human services agencies in certain communities. It will vary according to communities. That's why we have a county-specific planning process. But, yeah, I think we can become much more effective and much more efficient. Okay. Yeah. On the corner, most of the – I don't have it with me, but most of the corners make – I'm guessing somewhere less than fifteen thousand right. uh, dollars, probably less than ten in a lot of communities. And so, if you went to a, uh, and this is not this proposal, but I think this is what you would end up with if you took this office out of the constitution, you'd probably end up with a statewide medical examiner system, mm-hmm. which uh, some states have that. But again, I think they're more expensive than the system we have now. And we do have a lot of, which is the Shepherd Kernan recommends. We do have a lot of uh, counties that join together. Like a lot of the counties mm-hmm. around Marion County, you know, their their autopsies are done through Marion County. In Allen County, same thing. In that area of the state, they go through Allen County. So you, you have that ways to find efficiencies now, save money. 
Okay. Here's another email that just came in. It says, is this really the best time to be talking about cutting 6,000 more jobs in Indiana? I know people in Monroe County who have been out of work for months. Has anyone thought about that side of the equation? There's about a three-year transition period um, for these recommendations. And and, and so there there is that time lag. And as the caller before noted... Uh, these jobs can need to continue to be done in many cases. They'll be just done in different ways uh, in a different structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, you're still going to have somebody do a lot of these functions. It's just they'll be an appointed person rather than an elected person. I did want to get this comment out too. Uh, these elected positions in a lot of rural areas um, give the opportunity for leadership development. Um, and that's something we need in rural parts of the state. We need opportunities for people – um, to to learn leadership skills, to develop them, and maybe come you know do something else for the community, and so these a lot of these offices are not very high paying, uh, but it does give somebody an opportunity to kind of serve their community, develop some leadership skills, maybe you know figure out a name ID or get a name ID, and then maybe run for a higher office or or, or do something else in the community that's a that's a positive impact. All right, now I just need a clarification on the school portion of this because there's there I think there's been a lot of discussion that that administrative services would be combined um, the uh, 11th recommendation said to reor- says to reorganize school districts to achieve a minimum student population of 2000 establish state standards in a county-based planning process similar to that established in the 1959 legislation can you sort of translate that for me to, for what's really happening yeah uh, Governor Daniels recommends in his bill that uh, any school corporation having fewer than uh, 500 students would have to immediately consolidate. There are not very many in that situation. And those from 500 to 999 or something like that would have to um, either consolidate their administrations or show why they shouldn't. I mean, the whole point is to get more money in the classroom. And while sometimes we have a mentality that we are competing with the county next door or the school board next door, we're really competing on a global. We need every child in this state to have access to accelerated courses, to science courses, to physics courses, and that's not the case in these small communities. And we owe it to our kids. We owe it to our future to make sure everybody is well-educated. Okay. We are, we are out of time, David. Okay. I'm sorry. That's fine. No, okay. that's fine. I apologize. I'm sorry, David. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to comment on schools anyway. I want to thank our, thank our guests, David Bottorf and Marilyn Schultz. Uh, our production support for Noon Edition comes from Closets 2, providing, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Uh, Closets 2 owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville Telephone Company, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, offering bundled packages, high-speed internet, and wireless phones. Smithville Telephone, local pride, global technology, information at smithville.net. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, Ariana Prothero, and Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.